Hi, I'm Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today with the pleasure of reaching across the globe from Vancouver to Norway. I'm going to be speaking with Evan Wallestrand, who's a PhD candidate at Universitetet i Bergen in Norway. And Evan has a paper coming out in the November 2023 issue of Medical Education entitled The Liminal Landscape of Mentoring, Stories of Physicians Becoming Mentors. Welcome, Ivan. And I know you're home with three very little kids, four years and under, so particularly grateful that you've managed to sneak in a few minutes to talk to me. Thank you for having me. It's nice to have the kids to bed and be able to have a nice chat with you about our research. Always fun to have them around, but always fun to get them to bed too. I fully understand. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yes. This paper is part of your PhD studies. How deep into your degree are you? I'm nearing the end, published two articles, and I have the third one submitted. So now I'm writing on my thesis and nearing the end, trying to wrap my head around what I've actually been doing and trying mm-hmm. to find sort of the red thread in all of these articles. Excellent. Well, I'll say congratulations, even though I'm sure it feels a little bit premature <laughs> at this stage, but is the general focus of all the work you're doing on mentoring? No, it's about identity formation and identity conflicts. So it's more about the liminality and transformative learning. Yeah. Oh, excellent. So that actually leads to, I think, one of the things that we need to talk about first, given that the paper is the liminal landscape of mentoring. That term liminal isn't something that all of our readers will be familiar with. What is the phenomenon that you're studying both in this paper and your broader PhD? Yeah. Yeah, it was quite new for me as well when I started my PhD studies. I'd never heard of it before. But liminality is the unstable phase of learning trajectory. So it's sort of this phase in which you leave one way of understanding and yet arrive at a new understanding. So it's sort of in a state twixt between is a term someone has used. It's a state of in-betweenness and ambiguity. So it's often associated with confusion, discomfort, demotivation, and sometimes resistance to learn. So it's a sort of difficult state to be in for many. And it's often associated with the notion of threshold concepts, which might be a phrase that some of our listeners are more familiar with, the idea that you're going from one threshold to another in terms of your understanding. Um, What is it that led you to believe this was a particular issue for mentors, or why it was an issue that would yield insight if it were to be studied within the context of mentoring? We did a previous study with the same material, And when we did that, we identified threshold concepts for mentors. And in the first exploration of the data, we saw that we could identify threshold concepts, but there was also the potential for understanding more of that process of liminality. They were struggling somehow and trying to figure out how are they actually negotiating what they find difficult and how are they becoming mentors, how are they being mentors. Trying to understand more of that process of negotiating liminality. So it's been sort of First, that study of identifying the threshold concepts, and now this study in which we try to understand more of that process of being a liminality for mentors. Can you give us some examples of the sorts of challenges that the mentors experienced that led you to believe that there was something rich to explore? Yeah, we found it fascinating that some of them sort of rejected all possibilities for courses and help from faculty developers to improve as mentors, sort of 
calling that wishy-washy and blah, blah, and not something they wanted to be a part of. And still, at the same time, claiming to be struggling in the mentoring role. So we found that fascinating. Um, in the contrast, we could see that some were really eager and finding it fun to be a mentor and fun to be developing, while others really struggled with that and did not want to move and sort of rejecting becoming a mentor at all, the mentor identity. Um, so that made us curious to understand more. And you're exploring this by way of interviewing. So these are obviously challenges that people are well aware of and willing to talk to. Were these individuals that were pushed into mentoring roles or people who chose to do this but still found it a difficult challenge to develop their identity as a mentor? In the complete material, we have both. We have people that were sort of pushed into it and liked it and some of them who didn't and the other way around people who volunteered but still did not like being a mentor and rejecting the possibility of learning to manage the role of mentoring and we had people that volunteered and enjoyed it and found it really pleasant that alone is a bit surprising it seems mm-hmm. like if there's that much variability in the eagerness with which people approach the role that those who are more excited or more willing maybe I should be more able to engage with developing in, in the activity. What was it that led you to say liminality was unavoidable? And do you have any explanation for why it was a struggle, even for those who seemed to desire to be mentors? I think the way we understand it now, after having gone into this interview, is that sort of liminality is a way of something that happens in life. So learning and developing, as long as you're sort of entering that mentoring role, you try to avoid changing yourself. But you're still forced into being in that role and you're forced to being with the students and taking some role in the conversation with the students. So you are pushed into it and you cannot avoid it. You may try to avoid it, but you still will be unable to avoid it completely. You will be set in a position in which you have to create a safe learning place for the students, but you may not know how to do it. Then you may be struggling and you may find that the way you understand things now isn't good enough. It is not quite working. Mm. And then some people will say, okay, then what I'm doing isn't working. So I need to find a new way of doing things. So they enter liminality willingly. And others will say that I don't understand how this is, how I can do this. Um, Sort of trying to talk it down or make it less important or avoid liminality, avoid going into a change. And that reminds me of the distinction that Ray Malopoulos and others have made between adaptive expertise and routine expertise. So here's another domain where it's possible that someone might simply try to do the same thing they've always done. And if it doesn't work, they're stuck versus individuals who might be more readily engaged with looking for innovative ways to move forward in those more complex or difficult moments. That's quite rational, isn't it? I think we make a point of that. It's quite rational to avoid liminality. In our material, we see that to avoid liminality may come from a desire to increase their own comfort, their confidence and their efficiency. And that's rational to want to be comfortable in your role. But trying to fix what you're struggling with means going into a process of finding new ways of being and doing things. And that's discomforting. That's troublesome. And so that's quite rational for some of them to avoid liminality. Yeah, it requires more effort, feels less fluent or less enjoyable. And it struck me too, in reading your paper, the 
conflict between identity as a physician and identity as a mentor and how they could actually oppose one another. I presume with most of your participants, the physician identity was strongest. And so it's the mentor identity that got pushed to the side or the people were most resistant to taking on. But if I can just ask you, first of all, to explain what I'm alluding to in terms of the contradiction and then talk about ways in which you might see helping physicians move beyond those struggles that you're describing. Hmm. They found that those that were struggling with integrating identities, it seemed like they were having a sort of different view on medicine. So they perhaps see deemed mentoring and the medical humanities more peripheral and not central to medicine. And that gave them perhaps a more narrow view of medicine that made it difficult for them to integrate the mentor physician identities. And we saw they could contradict themselves when we were in a dialogue with them and they told stories. So they were contradicting themselves. So we have one example of one of them who, who tells about how he hates being a mentor. In the next sentence, he says that it's fine to be a mentor as well, instead of being asked about the mentoring students, because he is sort of shifting from one identity to another as he speaks. So he's speaking first as perhaps a colleague or a physician and as a physician from his environment he really hates being a mentor because that's how it is in their context but he enjoys being with the students so when he speaks as a mentor he actually tells of how he enjoys it and he likes seeing the students develop and i think that's one of the interesting findings we see here that the identity process and how they are able to integrate identities it's very influenced by the social cultural context so if you are from an environment in which everybody speaks down mentoring and talk about how difficult that system is or they don't see the reasoning behind it or the value of it, then it influences people. So one of the things we suggest is that very often faculty developers create courses for mentors trying to help them become better mentors. That's what we do at our university. and two other universities that the, the interviews are, are from, create workshops and courses. But we see here a need for actually targeting the context and how we are speaking about mentoring, how we are talking about mentoring, how we are integrating mentoring systems into the university and into the hospital. Which reinforces the value of you having done this across three different medical schools. And it is a very good reminder of not getting into the trap of talking about identity or any other you know, characteristic as a stable trait that one possesses, as opposed to you know, being in a constant interaction with one's environment. What does that look like when you think about faculty development or institutional change that speaks to the context? How are you trying to prove things in a way that might make the transitions that your mentors are going through more comfortable? For us, it's a discussion of how we can do it. And we try to think of some things. It may be to ensure that we have stakeholders on our side. So having leaders at the hospital and leaders at the university speaking good about the mentoring program and speaking of its value and why this is important. It's also, I think, Reminding mentors and physicians about how becoming a doctor is an identity formation. It's a journey. It's not something you are from you start medical school. It's something you have to become. And that's a process and it involves change and you can impact that change. So it means 
that you can give something back. A lot of the mentors talk about giving back, sort of reinforcing that. And it's sort of about creating a culture where mentoring is deemed valuable and central for all doctors. There are many things you can do then. I think you can be creative for doing that. And I would love for others to do research that can show some of the possibilities as well. So when one does encounter that inevitable liminality and the struggle that comes along with it, it's hopefully something they'll persist with a bit longer. Yeah, it helps if you have a colleague that sort of understands that process, that understands that, yeah, it is troublesome and it's difficult, but it's important. And it's something that I can perhaps help you with or we can talk about. So I think if you have a system in which everyone is mentors for some medical students, then hopefully everyone will see its value and it will be reinforcing itself. Um, Brings opportunities uh, for mentors of the mentors. Hmm. I think so. And we do that. We try to help the mentors sort of get together and create a sort of a group for the mentors where they can meet and talk to each other and help each other develop. But it's that's one of the challenges we see as well. Those that meet or attend our workshops or courses, they are the ones that are willing to enter liminality and are eager to learn and eager to change. While those who are not coming are those who might actually need that group in reinforcement. So that's one of the challenges we can see from this. Yeah, so it leaves open a number of questions to be addressed still. And so it's a good thing, perhaps, that your PhD isn't yet complete. Um, but there are also details in this paper that I'll encourage people to go read up upon, because even though the answers of exactly what to do in every situation, it certainly offers some useful guidance to help us think about how we might help support mentors who appear to be struggling and maybe less willing as a result to continue to adopt that mentoring role. For any of you who want those details, the paper, again, is entitled The Liminal Landscape of Mentoring, Stories of Physicians Becoming Mentors. And it's Ivan Wallerstrand, who I've been speaking with. Thanks so much, Ivan, and good luck with your final write-up. Thank you. 